Coming up next on Contemplate. If in your life you don't see it, if everything is always all good, there's never any commotion, never any upheaval, never difficulty, never, never conflict, you might want to ask yourself whether you're in a lukewarm bath of religion, okay, rather than in the fiery, transformative love of Jesus Christ. Because that, that second thing, that fiery, transformative, that reckless love that we sang about, that causes commotion. That causes a stir. Last time we saw that Ephesus was in an uproar because Demetrius and the people who made the idols were upset that so many were turning to Christ and they were losing money. And we'll see in Acts 19, verse 33, just what they did. Here's Pastor David. It says, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So Alexander, it's the Jewish folks that put, put Alexander forward, okay? Not to defend Christ, but probably because the way was considered a sect of Judaism to say, we're actually not a part of all that, to defend the Jews. That's, that's what the thought on this, who Alexander is. So he goes forward, <clears throat> you know, as all these people are yelling and going crazy. Yeah, let me just explain to you how we're not really with Paul. We're not really part of that. And they don't even want to hear it. And at this point, apparently, uh, one voice prevails. And they all figure that they're here to yell about how great Diana is. And they do it for two hours straight. Two hours. Apparently, this mob is going to take this thing as far as it will go. And so for two hours, they do that. Let's read the rest of the passage for today and see kind of how this thing ended. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And we, when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So the city official is kind of like the mayor, okay? He comes in, he realizes something has to be done, and so he comes in to handle this situation. He basically says, listen, guys, everyone knows that you think this stuff about Diana. The temple is right over there. There's, what are you so worked up about? Don't freak out. He talked about the thing falling from heaven. That was, we, that's actually the only that I know of in ancient literature place where it would talk about Diana falling from heaven. But it wasn't an uncommon thing in these shrines to say that the statue fell from heaven or something like that. So I guess that's where they came from. But he's basically saying, listen, Stop freaking out. We all know you think this. You've been telling us for two hours. We get it, right? No one's confused about that. Um, but these Christ followers, these guys haven't done anything to you. They haven't done anything wrong. And if they have, sue them. The courts are open. If Demetrius has a complaint, bring it to the courts. Don't try to do this mob thing. This is a bad idea, he's saying. And it was a bad idea. What do you think? Remember, this is a Roman colony. 
What do you think the Romans think in a large city when all of a sudden thousands of people start to mob together? Do you think that they like that? No. When you're a conquering force, you don't allow unauthorized gatherings because that's how uprisings start. Right? And so you don't want all of a sudden Caesar to send a bunch of people there because you've been having mobs get together and cause trouble for you. So this mayor is, is doing the right thing, regardless of what he thinks about Diana or Christians or whatever, to get this mob to go home. And apparently he's able to talk some sense into them because at the end of the day, he was able to just dismiss them. Right? Okay. We're done. Go home. And apparently, probably because they never really knew why they got there in the first place. And even as they're shouting for two hours, probably didn't really know why they were doing it. It was probably relatively easy for them to be like, oh, okay, cool. I got to get back to work anyway, right? Or whatever. So they all leave. And Demetrius and these guys, these, these workers who make these shrines and stuff, all of it came to nothing. Okay? It came to nothing. They were unable to convince the Christians to give up Christianity by just getting really mad. Go figure, right? Go figure. And God, of course, protected Gaius and Aristarchus from danger in this situation. I'm sure they were quite relieved um, because I, get, I bet it was a little dicey there for a while. And so we see God once again coming in and handling this situation. Paul and the rest of the believers didn't have any problems. Now, there's a few things that I want to sort of tease out and, and work through in this passage that we've gone through. And the first one comes back to that question I asked earlier. I said, would you rather have laws that were enforced against every wrong thing, or would you rather people's hearts change so they did not want to do wrong things? Well, the answer is probably obvious, right? But we are political people. And what I mean by that is we participate in the government of our cities, our states, and our country. And we should take those duties seriously. We should think well and apply the mind of Christ to the decisions that we make publicly and for, and for our society, okay? But Paul did not start a crusade to make worshiping Diana illegal, to make worshiping idols illegal. That's not the way he went about this, right? He preached the gospel, and he taught the disciples of Christ all that Jesus had commanded. And the effect of that, was that they stopped worshiping idols. The effect was so significant that these guys, Demetrius and whatever, had to get a mob together to try to save their prophets because it was such a significant effect. It was not law that changed the behavior of people from doing wrong. Because it's clearly wrong to worship Artemis and to worship idols that are made with people's hands. It's clearly wrong. But it was not law that got people to stop doing it. It was truth. It was truth and changed hearts. I had a professor in law school who said basically that he was more concerned with hearts than with laws. He was talking about the, the abortion issue, and he said, listen, I would rather, rather than changing the laws on the abortion issue, I would rather, it's fine to me if it's legal, as long as nobody shows up, right? As long as nobody shows up, because their hearts have changed. Now, that's a little rosy colored glasses, okay? You can't get rid of all laws and trust that all people's hearts are going to change and we don't have to worry about anything because theologically, that's off because we live in a fallen world. We know there are people who are going to choose wrong. Every single one of us in this room has done so at some time or another, right? And so we know that we, we do need some laws, but from a practical standpoint as a Christ follower, while very few of us have the jurisdiction to write laws or change laws, every one of us has the jurisdiction. In fact, the calling, the command to make disciples for Christ and teach them to obey all that he has commanded, and that changes hearts. 
That makes the line at the shrine shop get shorter, whether it's legal or illegal. So advocate for changes in law so that we have a more just and merciful and loving society, but advocate for, for truth and for morality, okay? And recognize that, that changing laws doesn't change hearts by itself. Legislation is not what changes hearts. Truth changes hearts. The love of Jesus Christ shown clearly and consistently in word and in action changes hearts. It's changed mine. It's changed many of yours. Okay? So there was no line among the Christ followers at the temple shop. Okay? But what if there was no line here for porn and drugs and prostitution and all those other things that we do that we know we ought not to do? What if there's just no line anymore? There was no line for sin. Sex always happened in the context of marriage. Whoa. What if all the divorce lawyers had to learn to do something else? Would not be a bad thing. Okay? Um, What if nobody showed up for sin, not because it was illegal, but because Jesus Christ had transformed their hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit? What you can, listen to this, what you can do here through this body is far more powerful than what you will ever do with a ballot. Far more powerful. You have far more effect on the society with what you can do with prayer, (laughs) with living right, and these things far more than you'll ever do by checking a name on any box, on any ballot, anywhere. Okay? And Paul has shown that. The, the believers here have shown that. And we could go through historic, historic uh, story after historic story of how the church has moved in and the culture has changed, not because they've initially gone after, gone to the Supreme Court or gone to change laws, but because hearts have changed and nobody wanted to do those things anymore. And the laws changed as the culture had already changed. That's your job. That's my job. That's what we can do together. All right. So advocate for good law, but love others so that those laws aren't needed. That's the first point I want to make. The second one is this. Back in verse 23, it said this. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Listen. If people's lives are being transformed and their behavior is changing and the rhythms of their lives are changing, it causes a commotion. It causes a commotion. Jesus causes a commotion. Wherever Jesus Christ is preached truly and effectively, there is a commotion because he's turning tables upside down. He's turning the world upside down. Jesus is real and he brings change and transformation and that causes a stir. It just does. If there's no stir, listen, if there's no stir, if there's no commotion, then I would be concerned. If in your life you don't see it, if everything is always all good, there's never any commotion, never any upheaval, never difficulty, never, never conflict. You might want to ask yourself whether you're in a lukewarm bath of religion, okay, rather than in the fiery, transformative love of Jesus Christ. Because that, that second thing, that fiery, transformative, that reckless love that we sang about, that causes commotion. It causes a stir. It causes things to happen. Acts Church, listen, Acts Church is not the PTA or some civic organization that we come to to hang out. We are here to cause a commotion. This is a movement of God in the world to save people 
from their sin, to speak truth into the lives of people and to give them relationship through the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ with God. Now, that's, that's going to cause a commotion, okay? That should be causing a commotion. You cannot be in relationship with Jesus Christ, actively engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ and stay the same. Cannot be done. It cannot be done. Some of us wish it would sometimes, but it cannot be done. Listen, we are being transformed. We are being made new. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen one of these shows on like HGTV or the DIY network where they restore an old house? Here's what they do. They find some old house, trashed up house, okay? And they completely redo the whole thing. It's amazing. The paint is all chipped. The the lawn, the grass is all like overgrown. The bathroom's from like 1956. It's all jacked up. It's gross. It's old stinky, gross carpet on the floor. And the folks, they go to work. They come in there and they start tearing up the carpet. And they're demolishing sinks in the bathroom, in the kitchen counter. People sledgehammers, slamming things around, pulling things out. It's loud. They're knocking down walls. They're taking out old drywall. And in the end, there is this amazing house that is clearly the old house, but it has been made completely new. This is like the process, okay? Let me ask you a question. If the house was a person, okay, imagine the house was a person. What do you think she would think? Or he, I just made the house of her, I don't know. Um, what do you think he or she would think as the people are pulling up the carpet, sledgehammering the fixtures, right? With, you know, just jacking this house up. Do you think that this person house would, uh, would like it? It's a commotion, right? It would be painful. It would hurt. The house would be wondering, when is this pain going to be over? I wish this new owner would have just thought maybe a new coat of paint on the outside. Maybe mow the lawn. Leave my sinks alone, yo. This is painful. Don't, don't come in here and cause a commotion and upheaval, right? I wish this owner would care less about me. Because if, if they cared less about me, they wouldn't have to go into every nook and cranny and make everything new. They would leave some of it alone. I could be sort of at peace because that house doesn't know, can't see what the newness is going to be somewhere down the road. All the house knows is that there's a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of commotion. But the owner is not satisfied until the whole house is clean and fresh and new. And this is how it is when God is working in us, okay? There is a commotion as he searches out the deep parts of our lives, destroying our old thoughts and habits and behaviors, leading us, teaching us, teaching us truth that makes us new. It is a miraculous process, but it is a commotion, a beautiful, sometimes very painful, but powerful, loving commotion as we're being made new. And it is awesome. It is awesome afterwards, <laughs> right? Tearing it sometimes is a little rough. But if there's no commotion in your life, just think about this as you struggle with things. If there's no commotion in your life, 
you may have been trying to shut the door on the new owner. Because I can tell you that if the new owner, God, in our metaphor, is doing his thing, there's commotion. If there's no commotion, you may be trying to hold the door shut. Let me just save you the trouble. He'll knock it down. He'll knock it down eventually, right? Uh, When we follow Christ and make him Lord, we surrender ourselves for the work of God that he's going to do in our lives for our good and for his glory. That's you personally. But there should also be a commotion in your family as as all of you are being changed. There should be a commotion in Christ's church. If the church is following Christ, there should be all kinds of commotion as the beautiful commotion of our personal lives and our families comes together in this local expression of the body of Christ. All this beautiful commotion should be causing commotion in the world. In the world. Outside of this room. Outside of this place. Outside of our life groups. Outside of whatever. People should be noticing Some getting angry, some being like, what's going on? I want to check that out. Because there's commotion that should be having a reaction to the message of Jesus Christ. Or we're not speaking the message correctly. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved And among those who are perishing, to the one we are the aroma of death, leading to death, and to the other we are the aroma of life, leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Listen, we are the fragrance of Christ to some. I'm sorry, to all. To some, they follow their nose to life that fragrance. To some, they follow their nose or plug their nose, and it leads to death. But you're the fragrance. It's going to cause something. If it's causing nothing, you don't smell right. Right? Either way, there should be a commotion. And like the passage says here, just like Paul and the others, look, we're not peddling the Word of God. I got nothing to sell you. This is real. This is the real deal I can testify. I could, I could talk for hours. I won't. I could talk for hours about what God has done in my life and the commotion that he's caused and the things that he's done and the beauty of all of it and the pain of all of it and all that it's done and all that I can see it leading to and all that I trust God and believe that he's doing in my life. And I can talk about it for many of you because you've shared your stories with me. This is real. We aren't selling anything. We don't, hear, we don't need your money. <laughs> we don't need any of that. God just wants all of you. He just wants all of you so he can cause that commotion in you. But this is the real deal. Demetrius and the silversmiths, they're peddling religion for profit. Clearly. The passage just makes it so clear. They're peddling religion for profit. We preach the risen Christ who, if you will follow him, will transform you in a beautiful commotion into newness of life. And there's only one way to get this upgrade you got to surrender to him. The last thing I want to say is this. Look, I know that we like to read these stories and lots of stories in the Bible, and we like to put ourselves in the position of like Paul or Jesus or whoever, right? We're the good guy in the story. Um, I want to let you think for a moment that sometimes, at least for me and probably for you, sometimes we're actually Demetrius. 
Sometimes we're actually uh, the bad guy. I'm sorry if anybody here is visiting his name Demetrius. It's not my fault it was in here. Um, just happened to be this guy's name. No offense. Somebody's going to be like, I just really felt like it was aimed right at me today. Um, <laughs> it's not, Demetrius, if you're out there, my bad. Um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, though, following Christ is all okay until it hits something that we hold close. Sometimes following Christ is okay until it runs into one of our functional saviors, one of our idols, and we start getting sideways like Demetrius did. We don't want to let go of those things which make us feel like we have some control. For Demetrius and the silversmiths, it was clearly money, but it could be anything about your money, about your time, about your home, your job, your hobbies, your pride, your little sin, whatever it may be, or mine. Do I sometimes get the silversmiths together and start a mob and a commotion and a confusion so I don't have to think about it? Yes. Have done. Shouldn't do. (laughs) What is it that when the gospel is fully preached, that when the full counsel of God is preached to you, makes you start to fight back? That's where we need to check ourselves. We need to guard our hearts against the pushback that we sometimes do, like Demetrius, when that beautiful commotion happens. We can't yell at God when he works on our house and be like, no, no, not that thing. That's my favorite decoration. Don't take that. Don't throw that out. Sometimes we hold things close. We think they're important, and we've made them into functional idols, and they're nothing. They're nothing more than the silver statues that Demetrius is making. They're worthless. We find in them some sort of control, or we find in them some sort of thing that we don't want to give up. And so as that beautiful commotion is happening and things are changing and, and, and God is making us new, we push back, we hold back, we hold the door closed. We need to be careful and check ourselves that we're not doing this, that we're open to the Lord speaking to us, that we're open to the Lord changing our hearts. Any of you who have children know that sometimes they don't know what's good for them, right? Sometimes some kids don't, and we know as good parents that we can't let them do things that will harm themselves just so we don't have to listen to them cry. A parent that does that has some things to work on. If you know your kid's doing something harmful, but you're like, but he'll cry if he doesn't get to do it. He likes to play on the freeway. (laughs) Right? No. No. You pull the kid away. Is he going to be mad? I say he because boys are worse about this kind of stuff. But... <laughs> is he going to be mad? Yes, he's going to be mad. Is he going to cry? Yes, he's going to cry. Is he going to, is he going to start a mob with his friends? No more parents rules. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's happened, maybe. I want to talk about it. But what is our job as a parent? What's God's job as a parent? Nope. I'm not going to allow it to happen. As he makes us new, there's some fighting back that may happen. But We don't want to push back against God when God is just doing things that are good for us, that are for our good and for his glory. And so we need to have an eternal view. We realize that we will not see the completion of our newness until the day of Jesus Christ, but we have to have faith and trust God that he's doing that. And we can see what he's already done. You know, we can see what he's already doing. So make disciples for Christ who won't need laws to help their behavior because they just won't show up for sin. Start with that. Let Jesus cause a beautiful commotion in your life, in your families, and in this church, or whatever church you're from, if you're visiting today, so that people can see the real thing. You want action? You want action? Let the commotion be the commotion. Preach the word. Speak it. 
Be kind, be loving, but don't hold back from truth because it might cause a commotion. Jesus causes commotion. Let's be part of that. And do not, do not cause your own commotion. Do not cause a stir everything, every time God does something we don't like or that hurts a little bit. Trust him in the process of transforming you. Trust him in the process of transformation. He is good. What a great lesson. And if we can help you experience that beautiful commotion in your own life, or if you have any questions about Jesus, call us at 360-885-9000. Or for email, use info at axchurchnw.org. And even better, come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. All the info you need is just a click away at axchurchnw.org. So glad you were with us today, and I hope you'll click on the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.